Lord, we thank you for today. Um, we thank you for your, your sacrifice, Lord, the blood that you spilt. We thank you for uh, bearing the full cup of God's wrath in our, in our place, Lord. Um, we thank you for the opportunity to freely come into this house of worship and uh, search your word together and understand you better and know you better, Lord. Um, you're a good father, and we thank you for that. Pray that this word and, and Josiah's word today and worship would uh, change and mold our hearts to look more like you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, first off, the title of the sermon today is The Blood of Christ as a Better Way of Life. Um, and our reference here for Hebrews 12.24 is what we're going to kind of keep coming back to um, and considering. So I actually don't have that one on my scripture sheet. So let's all open up to Hebrews 12 then together and read that. Hebrews 12:24 And to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. So that's what we're going to be talking about. That was uh, sort of the inspiration for this sermon and we're going to keep coming to that idea about Christ's blood, his covenant and how it speaks better than Abel's blood. So for those of you who don't remember or haven't heard the story before, uh, Abel is the first person in history ever murdered, right, uh, by his own brother Cain. Um, and we'll get into that story a little bit more. So looking at our outline, we're going to start with, uh, if we're going to talk about Christ, his blood, and Abel's blood and, and murder, I think we're going to have to start with talking about death uh, and its inevitability for us all. So, this is a really encouraging sermon today, so get ready for it, get ready to be encouraged. Uh, we're all going to die. <laughs> it's inevitable. So, um, we'll get into a little bit more what I mean by that, because the Bible has a lot to say about death uh, and life. Then we're going to talk about the difference between, we're going to contrast Abel's blood and Christ's blood, what happened when they died, Right? And then we're going to apply this, as always. We look at Christ as our example in all, of, in all of the Bible, right? Christ said that the whole of Scripture was about him, right? And then we take that, we take what we see about Christ, and then we apply that to ourselves, you know, because we're following in his footsteps. So, death and its inevitability. I want to make something kind of clear off the get-go uh, to kind of clear up any misunderstandings or anything, right? Because like I said, the Bible says a lot about death and life. So here I see a big difference between like eternal death and like earthly death. Okay, and I'll get into what I mean by those two things. So eternal death, if you want to, uh, we're going to read Matthew twenty-five forty-six here. It says, 
and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So eternal death, the death that I'm labeling eternal death is eternal. It's forever, right? Um, and then if you want to read Romans 6.23 with me, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So eternal death is a, it's a matter of consequence. It's a matter of uh, being covered by Christ or not being covered by Christ, right? Being in Christ or not being in Christ. That's kind of the, the main point here about eternal death. It's a wage of sin, okay? So it's eternal, and it's a consequence of our sin. It doesn't happen to everyone. Not everyone's going to die eternally. Some of us will live for eternity. That's a, a big distinction. <laughs> so earthly death is the other thing I want to talk about here. This is the main thing we're talking about today when I'm talking about this, this death idea is our earthly death. So in Matthew 10, 28, it says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So here, this is comparing that, that two ideas again. Here, someone can kill our body, which is an earthly thing, right? Everyone's body is going to die at some point. We're all going to die in our bodies, right? But there are some who God will save their soul and body from hell, or he'll save their soul from hell, right? Their soul won't be killed. You know, someone can't come up to you and kill your soul. That's up for God to judge, right? He's the judge of our souls. Some random person, no matter how mean their words are, no matter how uh, much anger they have in their heart, they can't come up to you and kill your soul. They're not allowed. They don't have that power, okay? Even Satan can't do that to you, okay? So you don't have to be in fear of that. But that is the way we die. We die bodily. It happens. So another, another way we die is, is sort of a daily death, and this is what I think is most applicable to us right now, um, is in a way we, we die a little bit every day. And when I mean dying earthly, the way we die every day is kind of like when your life is being taken from you. Everything that we consider life. Right? It's your time, it's your money, it's your emotions, everything that's wrapped up that you would say, this is me, this is how my life is expressed. Um, it experiences little deaths every day, and we call that suffering. So if we turn to Genesis 3, I think it would benefit all of us to read this together. Some of us probably already know where we're going with this, if you're familiar with Genesis 3. So when Adam and Eve sinned, God placed a curse on them. And that curse fell down through them to everybody. We're all cursed through this curse. All of us, everyone. Christian, non-Christian, 
uh, tall, short, man, woman, child. Everyone is cursed by this curse, okay? All of us have it the same, right? Just like how we all die bodily the same, we all are cursed the same to suffer. And so let's read this, Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth. In pain you shall deliver children, yet you desi- your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, yet you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So here's a curse that promises, one again, that we're going to die bodily, we'll return to dust, right? And then it it promises us that work is going to be really difficult. I'm sure all of us have experienced going to work someday and coming back from it and feeling like, I feel like I just died a little inside, right? That's what I'm talking about here. Because when we're at work, it's, it's difficult. Life is difficult. Life has, life has diseases. Life has mean people. Life has death and suffering. And it, it happens to all of us. And that brings me to my next point. You know, this suffering, this death is for all of us. So we're going to read Matthew 5.45, which says, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, that's a common complaint I think a lot of people have is, um, I'm a Christian, why do bad things happen to me? Right? Well, we're bound to earth and we have a curse over us. Bad things are going to happen. Suffering is going to happen. We're going to die a little bit every day. Right? Cancer happens to Christians and non-Christians. Right? Friends backstab you no matter who you are. You could be the nicest person and people will betray you. That happens. Because we are all under this curse. So it's looking pretty bleak. (laughs) We'll get to Ecclesiastes 9 as well. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and the unclean, for the person who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good person is, so is, so is the sinner. The one who swears an oath is just as the one who is afraid to swear an oath. There is an evil in everything that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for everyone. Okay, again, we look at this first murder, right? Cain and Abel, okay? Cain and Abel, what's going on here is these are the first two sons ever, okay? This is Adam and Eve's progeny. This is... They're children, and they're the first ones to have this curse from birth, right? And we pick up on their story, and you see these two guys. Uh, one 
who the Lord sees as his sacrifices are pleasing and one whose sacrifices are unpleasing. And we can talk about that and get into the nitty-gritty of it. Um, But what's going on here is Abel is being faithful to the Lord and Cain wasn't. And the Lord made a judgment about that. He said, I prefer Abel's sacrifice to yours, Cain, because your sacrifice isn't done with a broken or contrite heart, basically. Okay? We can talk about why I think that. (laughs) So... You've got these two guys here, one's faithful, one's unfaithful, and you'd think the unfaithful one's the one who's going to get death, right? He's the one who deserves it. He's not obeying God. And God can totally stop death, right? He has power over death. But Abel's the one who died, okay, even though he was the faithful one. So it happens to everyone, okay? So don't be surprised if you go through some suffering as a Christian, okay? That's kind of the main point here. In fact, expect it. Expect suffering in life. Expect a little bit of death. Expect people to take from you and want things from you. Uh, Expect responsibility, right? So now let's talk about Abel's blood and Christ's blood. All right, blood here, this word in this context that I was talking about, right, where it talks about Christ's blood was sprinkled, right, and then it cries out a better word than Abel's blood. This blood reference here, it's, and whenever you see blood in the Bible, this is true for it, okay? It's inextricably intertwined. That means you can't, you can't remove it from these ideas. Whenever you think about blood, you have to think about these two ideas, You have to think about sacrifice and life. Okay? I think sometimes in, you know, in our culture we water down all kinds of words, right? We don't think about other things when we think about words. We just take them at face value. Very surfacey ideas about blood. You know, someone says, you know, like, blood makes me queasy, right? Um, We can talk about that and think about it just as blood. But in the Bible, all these words are are linked together, and they, they're significant. And when you read one thing, it should take your mind other places as well. So it's, blood is, is, is linked to the word sacrifice and to the word life uh, really deeply, and that's important for today. So Leviticus 17.11 <laughs> says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, Okay. Life, is, life of the flesh is in the blood. Okay. So when it says someone's blood was spilt, it was sprinkled, um, it was lost, it means like their life was lost. Okay. If someone's blood was taken from them, their life was taken from them. Okay. And that's a big idea when we talk about life. So we'll get back into what, what I'm, the big, big picture of life and what I want to talk about it with today. But next we're going to talk about sacrifice. So it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. Remember I said earlier that no one can, take, can kill your soul? 
That's a judgment from God. So, so this, this blood, this death, can make an atonement for an eternal death. That's what we're talking about here. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So atonement here, if you read it in other translations, it's sacrifice. Okay? That's what we're talking about here. Sacrifice and life and blood. Those come together. So Christ, in the Bible, he's the sacrifice. He's the prototypical. He's the sacrifice everyone was looking forward to and everyone's looking back on. He's, it's the pinnacle of sacrifice. Every sacrifice that ever happened and is ever going to happen points to Christ's sacrifice. Okay? So it's like, why are we doing, you know, why would we sacrifice, right? It, it's supposed to show us this greater, better sacrifice that's going to happen, and that's Christ. And he says that about himself in Scripture, right? And others say that about him in Scripture. So if you read 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Remember, that's the curse. Your forefathers are Adam and Eve, and their curse is your curse. Congratulations, you're born into a curse. And you get to suffer daily, and you're going to die, and it's inevitable. <laughs> so that's a good way to start out life. Uh, but with precious blood, not just any blood, precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So if we follow this, knowing that you were not redeemed, redeemed by what? Followed all the way to the end, the blood of Christ. And every time you look in the Old Testament, what they did sacrifice were lambs, unblemished and spotless. And that was sort of rare to find an unblemished and spotless lamb. And uh, if you didn't have lambs, you had to go find one and pay money for it. And, you know, it was a bit of a hassle. But here we're talking about, like, the perfect, totally unblemished, totally spotless, never sinned, free from the curse right? Like overcoming the curse. Like Christ was born into the curse as well. Okay? He was born, his forefathers were Adam and Eve, right? And he overcame that. The curse didn't win over him. And so he came to this perfect, and it's saying that his blood was the sacrifice for us. Okay? So, he's a sacrifice. He lost his life. His, he lost his blood, right? His blood was spilt, okay? Or it says it was sprinkled. And we'll get back to that key difference there. But Christ died, is what I'm saying, as a sacrifice. So, what... Christ didn't just die. When we think about it, it's not just like he was here, then he was gone. We've got to think about all of who Christ was, right? When I said, we're coming back to this idea of life, okay? When I said, you lose your blood as a sacrifice, and you, in doing that, you lose your life, 
So what about Christ was, was lost, so to speak, when he died? What did his life look like? Let's turn to Luke 4. And this one, I, I'll take the time so we can all, all look at it, because it's one of my favorite, favorite sections of Scripture. Luke 4. Going to verse 18. It says, and Christ is, is he's in a temple talking to these Pharisees. He opens a scroll, right? And he's about to, to read it. And when you read something in that time, it was like you were, it was like me coming up here, you know, when I'm reading these scriptures to you, I'm trying to get a point across, <laughs> okay? So Christ was trying to get a point across, and he chooses a section from the scroll of Isaiah, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So this is something that was written hundreds of years ago, okay? Hundreds. Like lots of years ago, it was written, okay? And he gets up in front of these guys who are all judging him, all waiting to see what he says, because they've heard about him. He's been around healing people and doing miracles, and they're all waiting to hear what he has to say. Who's this guy? Who does this guy think he is? That's what it, the question was on everybody's mind was, who does this guy think he is? And he gets up and he said, you know, what is this guy about? If you hear crazy stories about something, the first thing you want to know is what's their deal, right? <laughs> why are they doing this? Why are, why are they doing all these miracles and going around and talking to 5,000 people at a time? What's their message? What do they want to get across? And he goes up and he reads this scripture that's hundreds of years old. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So, a little bit of context here. Again, we're going to go back. When, when this was written um, in the scroll of Isaiah, you can talk about the whole history of the Jewish people, the Israelites, God's people, right? The, where we get our heritage, right? From, from Adam and Eve sinning and being cursed up until this point, everyone, including God's people, have lived in darkness in death, and to hear they were all looking forward to a favorable year of the Lord. They were like, we can't catch a break. It seems like everything goes wrong for us, right? That's how we feel, right? They were, finally they're, you know, saved from this famine, and they're in Egypt, and then all of a sudden a new Pharaoh gets in place, and now they're enslaved, an entire people for hundreds of years. And then they're like, finally we get released, and we're escaping Egypt, and we pass through the sea, and it's, it's amazing miracle, splits it open. And now we spend 40 years in a desert. We can't catch a break. Oh, there's the promised land. Well, there's giants there. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> it's like these people feel like they, they're oppressed and can't catch a break, and they're, they're enslaved left and right. And in, at the time of Christ reading this scroll, he's talking to people who have so much identity wrapped up into being Israelites, being Jews, that 
the Romans come along, and they basically enslaved these people too, right? They weren't bound and chained, but what are they going to do? Go live somewhere else? No, they were paying crazy taxes to these Romans who weren't representing them. You know, when that happened to us in the U.S. or in in America, we had a revolution, right? Like we felt oppressed. Uh, by a government that didn't represent us. And like times 10 is what these Jews were going through. And they're hearing this and they're like, okay, you're saying, you read about the favorable year. Yeah, great. We all want a favorable year from the Lord. We'd love to be set free. We hate being captives. Please bring us good news and and restore our sight. Right? We want to see clearly. Everyone wants that. And so the Lord... You know, Christ reads this, and he says, it's fulfilled in your hearing today. He's saying this thing that was written hundreds of years ago that you guys have all been looking forward to so long has been fulfilled here today. And what he was saying is, I'm here. (laughs) Congratulations. I'm here. Uh, I'm going to give you my life. Jesus Christ devoted his life to these things. This was his mission. This is why it's one of my favorite passages because it sums up Christ's mission, right? His mission was to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and free those who are oppressed. Okay? What are we oppressed by? Right? We're Americans, right? We're free, right? Now, I look at a culture full of people who are oppressed by depression, anxiety, you know, any type of mental illness you want to talk about, right? Oppressed by fears, failures, debt, people oppressed by debt, like real debt that is held over people's heads for their, their entire life, right? Oppressed by addictions, Right? We live in a culture that's more imprisoned than probably even these Jews were imprisoned. You know, because we're, our minds are enslaved to the world. Right? We get on, on the internet or watch TV, daytime TV or whatever, and it's just mindless stuff that's captured our minds and we're no longer free to think about God. Right? We are oppressed. We're blind, we're captive, and we're poor. And that's true for everyone of all time, everywhere. Right? That's the promise. That's the curse. That's what's waiting for us. But what I'm, I'm arguing is that that's what Abel's blood offers us, not what Christ's blood offers us. What Christ came to do, he spent his entire life and he gave up his life. He sacrificed it. He, he said, I can do all these things, um, but I'm actually going to give up my life my, so that you guys can have this, so that you guys can do this, right? Because even if Christ was still alive today as one man doing this, you know, yes, he's God, but he's also a man, fully man, can only be in one place at one time if he's 
bound to a human body, right? He wouldn't be able to change the world on his own, right? But it, through his death, he did change the world on his own, through his sacrifice. And we'll see how that translates to us. But first, let's talk about this blood, the difference here. So I made a nice little table. That's how I think I'm an engineer. It'll give me a break. I think in tables and graphs and charts and, and things. Um, I got a lot of this from, uh, if you want to go onto our website, gcfdayton.org, uh, into our sermons, and you type in that sermon title at the bottom, Major Biblical Themes, Part D, Two People Groups, you'll see a sermon that Greg preached many years ago with an outline that has basically this table in it and a very short little piece um, that I remember from years ago. It stuck with me. So... Uh, Here's the difference. Abel's blood called out vengeance, right? Um, when Abel was murdered, Cain, Cain deserved death because of that, right? Like, if we want to go back and read, um, I can't believe I didn't include this. I was planning on including it, but turn to Genesis 4 with me. I was planning on including this and forgot to. Genesis 4, verse 10. I don't know if they can get that up pretty quick. Can you guys pull up? There you go. Those guys are quick. All right. Genesis 4:10. Then he said, This is God speaking. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And then if you read verse 11, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So when Abel died, a curse was put out on Cain. That's vengeance, right? It's wretched. Retribution, right? This is what some of us think is justice, but it, it's much less holy than justice. It's vengeance. Christ's blood cried out something different. Luke 23, 34 says, But Jesus was saying, This is super powerful. Okay, this would be impossible for any of us to do, okay, to be on a cross. Um, and when I talked about those daily deaths, Christ died the most daily deaths of any of us ever of all time. This man suffered left and right. He suffered more than any of us can, okay. He had his closest friends betray him, right, Peter, uh, the more as time goes on, and I, I consider that, I consider the tragedy of what it must feel like to have, you know, at that time, Peter was like God, Christ's right-hand man. He denied him three times at his most, his biggest moment, when he needed him the most. Peter denied him. People were spitting on him. His own people, who he came to remember, he came to set these people free, Right? 
and give him a favorable year of the Lord, those people were the ones spitting on him, right? And he's walking up to this with the cross on his back. He's suffering bodily harm. He's suffering, suffering emotional harm. People are rejecting him, uh, rebuking him. And he's on the cross, about to die. And he's given his whole life to these people. He says, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So Christ's blood didn't cry out vengeance. It didn't cry out, curse them, God. He didn't go up on the cross and say, curse them. Curse them and their children and everyone they know because they killed me and rejected me when I came to bring them a gift. And I can tell you, none of us would be able to do that. I can't tell you how regularly I bring a gift to someone and it's rejected or something, and I think, wow, if they were just cursed or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, you don't use that language. We don't use that language very often, but we speak curses in our hearts towards people all the time. Why'd they reject my gift? I've done this and this and this and this for them, and yet they're, they're ungrateful, Right? How many times do we call people ungrateful? (laughs) And we speak curses over over them in our hearts. We speak vengeance towards them. I'll get them back. See if I ever do a nice thing for them again. But Christ's blood spoke out forgiveness. Another big point here is Abel's life was taken from him. He was murdered, right? I don't think he saw it coming. He may have seen it coming, uh, but he was unable to stop it. I don't, think he, I don't think he went up to Cain and said, you know what, kill me, take my life. You know, that's my whole purpose here was to live and then have you kill me. But Christ's life was given. John 10, 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd and I know my own. And my own know me, just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father And I lay down my life for the sheep. Remember, the sheep are the ones who are supposed to be sacrificed. The sheep are the ones whose blood is supposed to be spilt for sacrifice. And now the shepherd's coming and saying, I'll give my life for the sheep. And I lay it down willingly. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason saying this is the whole reason. You know, we read about his life and what his whole purpose was, but there's a bigger purpose. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it, up, take it back. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. Okay, so it was given, not taken. Now Abel's blood was shed on the ground. It fell to the ground where we were supposed to return to, right? We came in as dust, and we're going to return to the earth as dust. We're going to return to the ground in our bodies. And that's where Abel's blood fell. It was spilt onto the ground. But Christ's blood was sprinkled. Remember that? In Hebrews 12, 24, it says sprinkled. It was sprinkled like the blood of the lamb was sprinkled on altars. It was sprinkled on us, on our hearts. It didn't go to the ground. 
If something falls on the ground, that's pretty much it. It's useless, right? You can't, if blood falls on the ground, you can't take it back up and use it for another purpose. It's gone, right? You know, that's why people cry over spilt milk, right? If it falls to the ground, you can't get it back, okay? Christ's blood didn't fall to the ground. It wasn't pointless. His death wasn't pointless. It achieved a purpose, and it was sprinkled onto our hearts. It's covered us. So again, you can see this uh, same idea if you go to this, this sermon on our uh, website, and you can read the outline and, and listen to the sermon. It'll give you a better idea. But now we're going to talk about covered in Christ's blood. So we see Christ's blood, and it's clear that it's better, right? Because his life was better. Um, it, it achieved more. God's blood, you know, Christ's blood did more than Abel's blood. It didn't cry out vengeance. It didn't fall to the ground useless. It didn't, um, it wasn't taken from him. It, it achieved its purpose. It had purpose. And that purpose was to redeem us and cover us and save us from eternal death. We'll still have suffering like Christ did. So we're covered in Christ's blood. Hebrews 9, 14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? Now this death is the eternal death I was talking about. We don't have to worry about our sins condemning us to eternal death anymore. We don't have to lay up, lay awake at night worried about that thing we said 10 years ago that we've been forgiven of. We don't have to fear our future sins that I guarantee you you'll have worried that you'll lose your salvation. That's secured. It's covered. Because Christ covered you with his blood. That can't be undone. And we follow in his footsteps. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Again, we will have sufferings. And in fact, as Christians, you'll probably have more sufferings. God promised us a cross to carry. Friends will leave you. Maybe even worse than that, they might betray you. You may get cancer. Right? You may lose your job. People in your life will die before their time, before you get to say goodbye. People will accuse you. You'll suffer. People will may not literally spit on you, but honestly, maybe you'll literally get spat on. I don't know. <laughs> if you're a parent, you'll probably get spat on at some point, or drooled on, I don't know, at the very least. You may have sleepless nights. You may have to work really hard at a job that you don't like, <laughs> and that's real suffering. I get it, but it's a part of the experience. And we know Christ through that. So when we're faced with these 
these little deaths every day, right? We've already established that we're all going to face suffering. And eventually we'll face bodily death where we're on our deathbed. We're going to face all of this. We have three options, okay? You can fight against it. So someone comes up to you and says, uh, you know, you've got to have a job. And the only job you can get is a really difficult job with a mean boss. You can fight it and say, I'm never going to work a day in my life. All right, I'm not doing that job. I'll be poor before I work that job. Or someone comes up to you and, and offends you, right? Or a friend, you know, backstabs you or whatever. You can fight it and try and get your vengeance, your pound of flesh, right? Or you can try and avoid death your whole life. You know, never do anything, never do any risks. Try and spend all your time worried about your health and well-being and avoiding anything dangerous ever so you can live as long as possible. But guess what? In the end, you're going to end up bitter because guess what? You're not going to win and when you don't win, you'll be bitter. When you find out that you can't go your whole life without working just because you don't want to work for a mean boss, you're going to lose that fight because eventually you're going to run out of money and you're going to get hungry. And eventually you'll end up dead. Matthew 10.39 says, The one who has found his life will lose it. And the one who has lost his life on my account will find it. So think about that. If you spend your whole life trying to get what you want, and make your life how you want it, and avoid anyone who could ever offend you, avoid any, anything that could ever hurt you or trouble you, uh, you, know, you want to avoid the, the hard thoughts to think about because they're difficult and there's a little bit of, a little bit of suffering and hurting for people, right? You'll never get back how much is, is taken from you. And, and if you search that your whole life, you're going to lose that very quickly. If you avoid anyone who ever offends you, you're never going to have any friends. I can tell you that. I'm surprised I still have friends with how many people I offend. <laughs> but you'll end up bitter and you'll end up dead. So here's our other option. Just let it happen. Let death happen to you, right? Just passively go through life not fighting for anything. Not, you know, like this would be if, if fighting for your life was spending every day in the gym and, you know, worrying about your physical health and never doing anything dangerous. Letting it happen is not worrying about your health at all and eating really bad food, never exercising, and just let it happen. Death's inevitable. I'll just let it happen to me, right? Well, You'll end up bitter. <laughs> this is what I call a self-pitying martyr. Why well, I got it in quotes there is it's not a true martyr. Uh, just because someone killed you doesn't make you a martyr. Just because you died doesn't make you a martyr. Everyone's going through suffering. And when you find that out, and you find out that no one actually pities you for your suffering, uh, you'll end up bitter. You're not a special case. You know, I, 
that I don't want that to sound harsh because we come alongside and we go through this life together and we hurt together and we bear these sufferings together. But there are people out there who just let it happen to them and uh, they're like, wow, man, I'm financially ruined. How'd that happen? Well, you never looked at your finances. That's how that happened. <laughs> you let it happen to yourself. What do you think was going to happen if you ate Taco Bell every day? You know, you're, you're going to die quicker, right? I thought I could just do drugs and it'd be fine. No, like you'll end up bitter and dead. Or you could do the last option and this is the, this option can only happen through Christ, Okay. Because like I said, we can't get up on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. We cannot do it in our own power. We can only do it through Christ. So we get up on our crosses every day. And what we need to do is freely give our life. Luke 6, 29. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic from him either. So my whole point in this, this verse is a little, a little different. I think a lot of people look at this verse and they're like, well, isn't that just letting your life be taken? You know, if someone hits you, let them hit you on the other cheek. That seems, when you do that, you're taking control of the situation and you're giving your life. It's not being taken from you anymore. And what I mean by this as a practical application, um, just before I finish up real quick, is like, Okay, a bunch of people come up to you, ask for favors, right? And you know they're never going to be able to return the favor, okay? You give and you give and you give, right? But if you treat those people, when people come up to you and ask something of you, and you treat it as, they're taking this away from me. They're taking my time. By helping this person move, they're taking away my time. That's one way you can think about it. That would be the the passive action. You could fight against it and say, I'm not going to help you move. That's my time. Okay? Or you do the third option where you give your time. You say, yes, I'll help you move. I'm choosing to help you move. Here's my life. You can have it. I am sacrificing my life. You are going to die either way. It's either going to be taken from you or you're going to give your life up. And in one case, you're going to be bitter and in one case, you're gonna, your life's going to be full of joy. And you're going to be rewarded for it. So that's what, what's at stake here. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm getting at here with this whole point of following in Christ's blood. Is we need to change our mindset when someone comes up to you and asks for something. Or you have to do something difficult. Or you have to suffer. Guess what? You're going to suffer anyways. You can do it willingly for God, suffer for God, or you can, it can be taken from you, and you can suffer for other purposes, right? God's burden is light and easy, okay? This is, if you're going to suffer, which you're going to, I'd rather, like, suffering for God's the best way to suffer, um, I'll close it on that. So let's, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for suffering. 
We thank you that we won't have to suffer for eternity. Lord, we ask for your power and mercy and forgiveness to be able to suffer well here on earth. Pray that we suffer well, we suffer good, and we suffer in a way that um, speaks freedom for captives and sight for the blind. Thank you for today. Help us to suffer well. In Jesus' name, amen.